Hello and welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour. Alex Gillespie here, joined by Chris O'Reilly this time. And there's a lot going on in handball. We're going to talk about quite a lot of it. We will focus a, a lot on Kiel because there's just some interesting activity going on from their spectacular Champions League campaign so far to their slightly less spectacular Bundesliga campaign. Also spectacular, but in a very different way. It is a spectacle. <laughs> it is absolutely a spectacle. So the focus today will be about Kiel Crisis with a capital K. Um, we'll delve into that. Uh, we'll also speak about the, a little bit uh, about the Women's European Championship qualifiers, as well as Champions League action and the upcoming European League, the yes. most exciting European competition Come on. in world handball. We were slightly but. worried that it wasn't uh, it wasn't going to appear. We were like, oh, wait a second, where's the European League? But it's here now and ready with more teams than ever. But, uh, <laughs> get to, we'll get to that at the end. We'll save that little we, tidbit we, we for last. We'll save that for the yeah. end. And we will speak a, a good bit about Bundesliga as well. But before we get into that, uh, I will just have to mention the our Patreon and thank everyone who has supported us on Patreon over the last uh, almost eight months that we, we've had that Patreon going. Uh, we've provided you weekly podcasts through the Morning Club, some live shows, extra content, bonus episodes, all available for just three euro a month uh, to sign up. So uh, thank you to everyone who has signed up. And if you haven't, uh, do go to Patreon forward slash Handball Hour and sign up there. Do keep giving extra content and don't forget about the Discord, which I am really enjoying over the last while. There's some really good uh, conversations going on there uh, for every game that's happening. So that's been really fun to see. And, uh, you know, actually, it's been really helpful because some games I can't watch and uh, <laughs> just dip into the, into the Discord to check out if it's yeah. worth catching up on, on one of these <laughs> games that has gone on. Yeah, and uh, no better time to sign up than uh, now uh, with the World Championship and European Championship coming up in the next few months as well. We'll be doing even more from them and maybe a few new uh, types of podcasts on the way as well as the the Morning Club, which we have for you now on a weekly basis. Let's start with the Champions League. Alex, shall we? Speaking of Morning Club, Brian and I touched on it briefly in the last one, uh, but... In our 15-minute morning clubs, there's barely enough time to go through everything that's happening. Uh, where would you like to, to start there? Because there's a few few uh, points I'd like to touch on. Oh, well, go, go ahead. If, you, if you've got points, uh, dive into them. You know, our last full podcast had a real verbal broadside on Colstat from one Brian Campion. And perhaps that's why he is not on the podcast today scared to come out and show his face after angry Colsta got their own back against the handball world and the likes of Brian Campion and John Ryan and uh, absolutely smacked Seged around 
24, the final score. Uh, halftime result, they were, what was it, 22 to 9 at halftime? Just 24 11. A 24 11, even, even worse. Uh, no, exactly the same, but more goals. <laughs> <laughs> exactly the same, but more goals. And uh, yeah, it, there's two sides to it. First of all, goals that are back. Second of all, Seged continue to have a terrible time away from home against Scandinavian sides. We thought we were all for this kind of Hungary versus Denmark or Hungary versus uh, Scandinavia thing a few weeks ago. It continues in uh, in a fascinating way from last week. But um, I think you and I were a little bit more cautious to completely, uh, you know, go in with Colts that are dead and we should give up on it straight away. And I think uh, we were rewarded with that uh, cautious approach in our last podcast. Absolutely. And there's actually, this is something I've, I've wanted to share. I I follow Kalsad on Instagram and they actually post quite a lot of content from their trainings, for like a, a lot of kind of on the ground stuff. And there was a training session, I think after our conversation, but before that Zegit game and the absolute intensity in that training session. I don't know if they were just really, you know, they knew the cameras were on and were really <laughs> um, pushing that, but the absolute intensity in that training session really wowed me. You could see like it, this was a team really focused and that intensity absolutely carried over to that Zegat game. And I think it, we, we may have been a little bit early. I'm also not gonna say that that are back to the top, you know, um, in, in world handball. <laughs> uh, they still have a lot of things to yeah. figure out, but we do have to understand that it's a new team, a new coach. And I think they're going to gradually get better as the season goes on. Um, I, I think that will happen. And he just, like watching Sander Sagerson in his role as conductor of this Colsat team is absolutely incredible. Did you see his line to the pass, the one that no one could figure out? Yeah, this uh, <laughs> this kind of, uh, <laughs> what is it, like illusion, <laughs> optical illusion of a pass. Um, yeah, which somehow, I, I have a feeling it was just like, you try to shoot it really hard and it deflected off somebody's uh, thigh, but yeah. No, no, I, I, I've... I fully believe it's because he's been pulling off some ridiculous passes. I think this is something he's transcended. So anyone who hasn't seen it, he essentially uh, was going one on one against a defender, went for like a full force underarm shot. And everyone looked towards the goal in that second. And somehow the ball landed in Gullerud's hand. It was basically kind of one defender away. Uh, I just put it into the goal. So the it was just ridiculous and I really do think he meant it because what I saw was essentially he he full power underarm shot that just with a flick of the wrist becomes a bounce pass uh, to Gullard or behind two defenders and I think he fully meant it because he's been doing these like really hard bounce passes I think that's that's what he's come up with the season there it's not just a little like spin pass or a little bouncer into the wing it's it's really full intensity and a really quite hard bounce pass that goes directly into the hand whether it's behind his back which he's done a few times or um around a defender and i think he definitely meant it 
Okay, there you go. But uh, it wasn't just Sanders Augustin orchestrating the attack, but also the return of good old Magnus Rudd, who popped up eight from eight. And we did talk about how different this team is or could be with him, but also made the point that that is always the case with Magnus Rudd and the team he plays with, whether it's Fansburg, Norway, now Kolsa. Well, it, who knows if it will last, but... It's nice while they have them. That's it. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. They're a completely different team with them. All of these teams are. But I, I have to, like, the, the last performance as well, and that's uh, that's been a consistent theme throughout Kolstad's um, season so far, is that Bergerud had an incredible performance and goal as well. He had 19 saves, 45%. And I really think when Bergerud, Rud, and Sagasin all play at the highest level whether it's for Norway or for Kolstad they can beat at any team all you need is those three and some other dudes some other and dudes it's going to be it's going to be a win um, so I'm yeah. excited to see if this Kolstad experiment which is not only done for club handball it is partially done for Norwegian national team handball um, having all these players together, whether that translates to a coherent um, and more powerful Norwegian team going into the European Championship. So that, that's something that uh, is interesting. We also have to say that Kolstad's loss to the almighty Zagreb was was not their fault. Yeah. <laughs> Zagreb are just... <laughs> It's not, it's just not the greatest team in handball now. Yeah, well, that's one way to look at it. Uh, my my point I wrote down was Zagreb actually not shit? Question mark. Big away win, a big home win rather against Kolstad a few weeks ago, and what well, feels like an even bigger home draw with Alborg last week, uh, snatching the uh, snatching the draw right at the end, and yeah, I mean. We said it looked like a more solid Zagreb team than they've had in a few years, but are they actually quite all right? I, th- I think they're quite good. I think it's just, it's it's very difficult to get past how terrible they have been over the last couple of mm. years. But what they've done is somehow integrate some good youth prospects into the team at the right time. So um, Serna, Zvonimir Serna was the kind of outstanding player for Zagreb in that game with seven goals uh, against Alborg. 25 years old. He's kind of the best young talent in Croatia um, is, is what, you know, I've heard uh, from, from the uh-huh. media. Um, someone who's flown under the radar a little bit, but uh, he's been with Zagreb for a while, and it's not like he's come out of nowhere, but he's just progressed as a player throughout the time. Now that he's 25 years old, he's kind of ready to be um, more of a force. Milos Kos, who scored that unbelievable last-second mm-hmm. equaliser, also very talented 21-year-old left-back um, Serbian. Uh, this time he's kind of been integrated after youth systems, he's come into the team and shown that he's quite good. And then they do have a couple of old boys, but those old a boys couple. are not in the crucial positions. That's that's the difference here. 
Um, you know, they're not getting Vuko Barazan back in. They they still have Vuko, a 70-year-old Timor de Birov, uh scoring <laughs> goals from the wing, which he'll keep uh, doing for until he's in a grave. Um, Chupic just doing his thing and um, Goyun, you know, just being a beast as always. So the, there's a nice mix and this is a team that is actually good this year. We just have to accept it. Yeah, and uh, with this, I think we have to give a, a very nice shout out to our friends of the podcast uh, based over in the USA, Kurt Schaefer, who uh, was uh, self-pronounced as the only uh, Zagreb fan in the USA. And he, he stood stood with them through the tying tie, trying times and uh, it could be a wonderful year for Kurt and everyone. All, all of a sudden they have fans against Zagreb as well. That arena not looking completely empty. You know, the good old days are, are really coming back for them. And uh, just one thing on that, that, that Milos Kos uh, equaliser at the end. That is the classic shot that you see taken in the last second of games over and over again. They never score them. It's always blocked or it always goes low and the keeper makes a save, but somehow he managed to pop it in top uh, top bins and yeah, full credit to them. It means though that our friends in Seged could be in real trouble, but uh, we'll have to maybe wait a little bit more to condemn them completely. Uh, we'll see, see just how bad they really are. Um, a bit of bad news from the other group. Uh, Montpellier, who had uh, had some terrible news with uh, Hesham, who's uh, done his ACL, it appears. And uh, that's a real blow for them because he, alongside Brian Monte, were looking like quite a pair of big shooters they were having having on the left-hand side. And uh, with him out of action now for, I guess, the rest of the season, um, I don't know if it's been 100% confirmed that it's the ACL, but it's kind of almost assumed... Uh, that is terrible news. Terrible. And and the injuries are piling up around the place. Um, there was... Fixer Berlin got another injury. Max uh, Darry uh, looks to be out. Uh, there's one more who I can't think of. But there's we've seen quite a slew of injuries at the start of the season again. I think this is something that happens every year. And we kind of get into a bit of a panic about it. Um, but eventually they even out. It is really this period, like October, November, is when the preparation, um, the preseason preparation, really shows um, in the injury perspective. And I think, um, yeah, it is it is bad news uh, for Montpellier and Hesham as well. Again, he 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 already had one. Um, big knee injury, so it's it's really sad for uh, a great uh, young talent from Egypt. Also, given that it's an Olympic year coming up as well, uh, that he's pretty much I think counters out of with that. So I think uh, let's go on to Kiel, and we'll start seeing as we're talking about Champions League with the positive side of things. Four rounds, four victories. They've just beaten Kielce in what was a fantastic match of the week last week uh, where we saw a little bit of a kind of a breakthrough for the skipper uh, an overall I think strong performance if we're sticking to that <laughs> before you absolutely tear into them after our interviews 
What are the what are the positives you want to take away from Kiel's current unbeaten start to the Champions League? Kiel have had an easy ride, so I'm not even going to go into the <laughs> positives. I'm going to go straight into the negatives uh, in terms of you know they played Zagreb, Pixeget. Um, we can kill the team who who was the Pelister in round three. Pelister, yeah. exactly. So they played the the three bottom teams. And of course, Kielsa was the kind of the challenge to see if this team was really legit. This is a Kielsa team without Andy Wolf and without Alex Dushbaev. And as good as Kielsa can be, they're missing those two players dramatically. Um, I think what there was three saves from Valak in, in goals for Kielsa. In that game, they used um, Hawker Thrasterson in right back to fill in for uh, Dushbaev, which kind of worked. But one from one. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's but it's not your best yeah. player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was at home um, in the Arena Arena. But you were there, right? You I was were, there. So what, yes. what was the What was the atmosphere? I think the atmosphere is really good and. Uh, we're going to hear from Magnus Landin and Samir Belisen uh, shortly. I spoke to them after the game uh, when they were all positive after winning. But the atmosphere was was really strongly positive, I think, because the fans, uh, I think, realized that they needed to, to really get behind the team in a game like this. The game felt, the intensity and the kind of the atmosphere of it felt like almost like a knockout game. Because I think both teams realize, even at this early stage of the season, with the people they're missing as well, that it, it's potentially a crucial game for the top two in the group. Um, and you know the way things are playing out, it could be really important there as well. Um, so it, it had that feel to it. Like it wasn't just your average Champions League game. And uh, I think that was a positive thing for Kiel that they managed to come out of that uh, victorious. For Kielce, yeah, things... Uh, I that the right back position I I really wanted to see Morito in earlier. He came in at some point in the second half and, and did very well. I think he he would have been the choice there to to keep the keep them moving a little bit more as well. I think the the emphasis almost went too much on Sitchko or whoever's playing the left hand side in the center. It kind of the balance wasn't quite there for them. But yeah, it felt like a proper proper Champions League game and the fact that Kiel came out on top uh not totally comfortably but they stepped up through the gears as the game went on I think that was really impressive um, before we go into the, the the crisis shall we hear from uh, Magnus and Samir as uh, when they were still feeling good about life that's good let's, let's hear some positivity let's hear some from, positivity from the Kiel players so Samir a big victory for the team today. What an event, what an atmosphere, and what a win as well yeah, for the team. Yeah. Uh, the most important is the win and uh, the two points. We are leader of the, the group tonight, and uh, it's very important for the team after the, the, the little bad period. We, we do a great week this week. And uh, yeah, it's a very good atmosphere, a very great game of the team, of Thomas uh, and uh, Skippy. So we are so happy tonight. And how's life been for you since you've come in? It seems like a whirlwind. It's only been a couple of weeks, but uh, a lot of people have already talked about how, how great of a, an atmosphere you've helped to bring into the team. Uh, how has it been for you? 
yeah, it's my role, it's my, my job, it's to help the team like this. And tonight it's not good for me, but I, when it's good, I try to to warm the, the guy, to warm the, the arena. And I think it's my 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 best punch. And uh, already in a couple of weeks, you've, you've had the experience of the, the tough yeah. League and Cup games, but it, it feels like, I mean, this is the big Champions League game yeah. in the group. Uh, yeah. how, how different has it been for you compared to what you've experienced so far? I, I ever play, uh, I ever played the Champions League, but with Montpellier when I am young, and now I have a, a better role in the team, and it's, yeah, and this night it's like final, you know, of Champions League, you play against the one of the best in the world and yeah I it's totally different so I play 10 years in the in France and now I am here it's a lot of different things and tonight we have a <coughs> big big uh, bigger win at home and this is the high level you said it was it felt like a final is that the way you approached it as a team is that what you talked about before kind of having that intensity no 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 it's my point of view yeah. but uh, yeah it's all guys know it's like a final. You know, they lose final next, last year against Magdebu. So you know it's the big team. And when they come here, you know it's the match of the week. So, <laughs> so yes, it's, for us, for me, it's like a final. But I think it's the same in the team. And uh, coming in kind of fresh as you are for this team, you've come in at a what felt like a bit of a sensitive time for the club as well with the losses at, uh, in the league and in the cup. If, have you realized that there is almost like a completely different pressure every week with this team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's totally different. Uh, when you lose three or three games, it's uh, it's not normal for Teavikil. So you have to uh, next next day after a game, you have to to work. You know, tomorrow we have training, and we have to focus now on Leipzig in Bundesliga. So, so yeah, it's different pressure, and you have no time to to mind about the to to mind about the the game and. Now it, it's the, the great level, you know. Uh, how does that suit your personality, that kind of that pressure every week? Is it something you're enjoying already? Yeah, yeah, I, I like this, this, this atmosphere of work, you know, with this pressure and all my whole life I want to be like this, to work like this. So it's why I come here, you know, and now I am, I am here and I have, I have to work with this pressure and for me it's good. Good stuff, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Uh, another big win in the Champions League. Talk to me about that second half in particular because it felt like the team really you know, found another gear. Yeah, I think we're like uh, almost the whole game we were like really good in defense. Uh, and in the second half we got that uh, little bit more spirit and uh, in, in, the, in the defense and we got some saves and uh, yeah, and then... Uh, you know, when you got that, you have the the basics, and then the the hole is there, and then it's really difficult to to take a point here in Kiel. And the momentum shift as well was huge. I think you said there are a few saves that seemed to really drive the the team forward because in in every department in the first half, every the two teams are so level. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was a really equal game uh, in the first half. Uh, I think, uh, and in the second half, uh, you, know, you know, as uh, you and, and I said, uh, then it's the small details with the saves and uh, not so many technic, uh, technic, uh, uh, falls. technical falls. Technical yeah, exactly. falls. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I want to say it in German. <laughs> uh, technical. 
uh, and then it's the small things that turns around and uh, yes as uh, I said before uh, when you're up with uh, three four goals in the middle of second half it's I'm sure it's uh, pretty pretty hard for uh, for the for Kelsey to, to come back uh, when they play against us in, in Kiel. Um, talk to me about the kind of mood in the team because I know that obviously there's so much pressure on this team every week, but also with the, the form domestically, the losses in the cup and in the league, does it feel almost, almost like a little bit of a, a shift in the, um, the mood coming into the Champions League games, knowing that it, it's gone so well, or is it hard to make a difference between the two? <laughs> You know, uh, there is always pr- pressure when you when you play for Kiel. Uh, we want to to win every game, so it was a really disaster for us uh, not to uh, not to go through the next round in the in the cup. And uh, I think uh, when something like that happens, uh, especially at home, uh, it really it really hurts uh, the team and the, the spirit in the team. But uh, like before, uh, we we tried it before, and uh, we know how to come out of these uh, situations. And uh, I think we are on a on a good uh, good way now. Uh, we can feel it in the in the practice, and uh, yeah, also in the games. And uh, yeah, I think we are not really back on track, but we are going uh, the right direction. I think yeah, Kiel as a team, you know better than anyone that, particularly in the league, in the Bundesliga, it's it's a marathon and not a sprint. You showed it last season, maybe a bit of a weak spell in the autumn like this year, but you managed to find the consistency in the end. Is that something you've talked about as well? Yeah, of course. It's, we have like, there will always come like uh, these uh, <coughs> these uh, moments uh, during a whole season because it's like a marathon and. You play so so many games, uh, Champions League, Cup, uh, you know, with the national team, and you play the the whole Liga. So you will always have a little bit uh, like a roller coaster where not like all of the basics are there, and uh, then you have these situations. And uh, we have that last uh, last year as well. Uh, it was not that early in the season like like we had now, but uh, we managed to come out uh, as a team, and uh, I think that. Uh, you know that's. Uh, I think it's high level from uh, from uh, from the players in 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 Kiel that managed to come out uh, for for those situations. Talk to me about the the squad in general now that everyone is, is starting to get healthy again and not sick. Uh, on the left hand side, it's it's very fixed. We know the players who've been there, yourself and Runa on the wing, Erica and Nicola on the the left back. But there's a lot of new faces around the rest of the squad. How do you feel everyone is settling in now? Yeah, it's going uh, it's going good, better and better. Uh, you know, maybe that's also a part of uh, the the little bit. Uh, Roller coaster uh, uh, beginning of the season. Uh, have some new uh, players that have to be uh, settled in in, the, in in our our playbook, and uh, maybe that's also a factor uh, that plays in. But you know, it's like that for for every team. Uh, but I'm I feel that they are more or less uh, good uh, played in in our yeah. playbook, and I think it's uh, working. And finally, then on the the crowd, it felt like today in particular they they kind of like an emotional intelligence about them. They really felt when 
you needed their support. It wasn't so much negativity in this game. It was pure support and really trying to put pressure on Kielce as well. Yeah, that's uh, always uh, like that here in, uh, in Kiel. They're behind us and have our back. And uh, yeah, that's why we all love to, to play at home here in, uh, in Bundarino Arena. And uh, yeah, these uh, evening uh, games, uh, Champions League, it's all, always special. Seth Magnus, thank you very much. Cheers. So that was the positive side of things after having beaten the two-time reigning silver medalists of the Champions League. <laughs> However, things, and I did allude to it a little bit, uh, how things are not going well in the domestic league and cup for Kiel. It's going from bad to worse, Alex. It is. They've suffered another loss, this time 35-34 to Leipzig. Um, Which now makes it five losses out of the last six games in Germany, I believe. Which is which really is wild. Pounding, to be honest. Wild. <laughs> um, and it's, it's... So, where, where to even start with this, to be honest? Uh, I, we have skipped past the skipper here. Um, I, we should probably mention him on that Champions League performance that... Um, Elias uh, has been kind of the diamond in the rough for them during this period um, uh, both in the Bundesliga where he has grown in stature uh, but also in in that Champions League game against KLC where he really took over yes, um, again against Leipzig he had 8 goals, he was the top scorer but it's not the attack that's the issue here. Yeah, they're you know they're so, fine. And just before you, before you go into that even further, because you know it can also look like with the um, we talked a little bit about this in the the morning club last week. The it can you can get some random ass stuff coming from Elias, but that's that's what comes with the package, right? It's like you need that uh-huh. to go with the rest because all of that just messes with the opponents and. Um, and his stats so far in the Bundesliga, he's their, their top scorer from, uh, from open play. So if Nicholas Ekberg has 36, including 16 penalties, 33 then is uh, Asha Pagatu with 22 assists on top of that. And he has the highest of uh, himself, Eric Johansson, Reinkind and Billick. He's got the highest shooting percentage as well, which kind of surprises me. 61%, that is kind of in... Uh, you know, in, in the Alex Kulesh scale of acceptable shooting from the backcourt, that is just, just in there. Yes, so not too bad. Uh, but yeah, so the attack—they're banging in the goals, but they're conceding more. Yeah, so it was thirty-five goals conceded against Leipzig, uh, thirty-two conceded in the cup against Betzler, thirty-four goals conceded against Magdeburg. And 35 goals conceded against Melsungen in their losses, um, as well as 28 against Flensburg. Um, that's a disaster. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it's uh, you can't sugarcoat it in any sure way. Enough. And I was um, I went back to actually rewatch some of those losses, and there's it's essentially Duvniak, Vincek and Pekler, who are the core of this defense. 
and they are absolute shells of themselves right now, especially Duvniak. Yeah. Duvniak is a player who just needs a year off. You know, you know, like Duvniak has just been absolutely fighting for his life to stay on the court constantly for both Croatia <laughs> and Kiel for the last 10 years. You know, there's just, and he's, he's not young anymore. He's just, he, he provides nothing in attack now um, at this stage. Uh, and defensively against Leipzig, they, they played 5-1. And that's this, you know, the famous 5-1 defense with Dudyako, which has shut down incredible teams in the past. It just didn't work at all. Um, didn't work against Leipzig. Also didn't work against Magdeburg. There's, I think he's just not, his body is not there to make it across the different areas and it's leaving huge gaps on the sides um, for which the Kiel defenders can't deal with. I will say again about the Leipzig game is that Leipzig just had one of those days. They Everything went in, whether it was a, a shot from 10 meters or a Kempa or a random wing spin shot, everything went in. Something is really structurally wrong with that defense, and I think it actually comes down to the players because continually we're seeing Vincek and Peckler as well yeah. just be beaten one on one. They're just getting, you know, they're not closing it down, they're not destroying people like they have. And again, Vincek and Peckler, guys who've been injured, been through the wars, have been on the go for a long time. And it just seems like it's all caught up to those three players, which are the spine of this kill team. Has the introduction of Elias Alastanasha Pagatu and his ridiculously confusing and difficult attack destroyed the spirit of those defenders because they have to play him every single day in training? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Is this, is this what is wrong with them? Uh, looking at the goalkeeper stats for uh, Thomas Merkva and uh, Samir Belasen, you know, the, they're looking pretty okay. They're both in the 30% mark. Like, uh, Belasen has only got three games in Bundesliga. He's 38.5%. Uh, Thomas Merkva, 31.2% in this season. So it's not a case of them conceding everything as well, which is a bit more damning when you see how many goals they're conceding. Exactly. I think with Belasen coming in, at least they have that second player to back up Mark Vant. Both of those players seem to be kind of one good game in, in, in two yes. uh, matches, getting 12 saves. That just seems to be the way it's been happening, which is good enough. Um, maybe, again, we, we can speak about Landin bailing them out last season quite a lot, especially in the Bundesliga. And maybe that covered over some of the defensive structural issues that we're seeing. But I do think it's... It's a morale issue and um, it's it's kind of a leadership issue because Akil don't have kind of one ultimate leader right now. Skipper is becoming that in attack, but he's, he's not going to lead you. Yeah, exactly. Duvniak is not really playing in attack or doing anything and being quite poor in defense. So like... He's not going to uh, be the yeah. person who drives this team forward. And the other option, then you think, is like Paddy Vincek. And 
every shot I see of him, it's, he's got his head down in like despair. <laughs> he's like, oh God. It is. Oh God, what is happening? It's like, oh, uh, why? And yeah, I mean, he's supposed to be the man to kind of lead them. And he, he seems to be the, you know, the kind of the voice of, you know, of reason here. It's like, it's okay. We're going to, we only have ourselves to blame. You can't blame the coach. Um, and, and the morale side of it is, I think, really interesting. I heard a great podcast last week, uh, the one by Keeler Nochrichten. Their Keel, it's like a THV timeout. And they had Runa Dampka on. And a uh, good friend of the podcast, Merle Schach, is hosting that. And Runa was a brilliant guest. And he was very like open about this whole thing, about the fact that it is a crisis and that it ha- seems to happen not to this extent now, <laughs> but it seems to happen at some point in the autumn every year where they have a, a poor run at some point and leave themselves chasing in the Bundesliga. And the way he talks about like growing up with Kiel and this, it's like winning matches is not a joyous thing. Winning matches with Kiel is just like a... Uh, is a bit of a relief. Losing matches, losing a match is a disaster. Losing more than one match in a row is an absolute nightmare. How difficult must that be to live with every single day throughout the year where even winning matches you can't even enjoy because it's like, it's so expected of you. It's almost like, oh, thank goodness we don't have to deal with like, you know, the the fans questioning us, uh, Philip Yika getting angry with us. We're not allowed to play football the next day and that kind of stuff, you know, in training. Uh, that's that's it's really gotta have a real It's got to have a real effect on the morale, as you mentioned. That, that's, uh, I think that's interesting that um, they're scared of Philip Iha being angry with them. I, he, I, I he, he, didn't, he didn't say that, but uh, <laughs> I mean, like the fact that, you know, for example, I, 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 this was kind of said in jest, but uh, last week they still hadn't gotten back to to playing football and training like the warm up because of the law like you know it's kind of the classic reactionary thing it's like oh you lose or we're going to train even harder the next day like yeah. uh, no no enjoyment for warm up uh, that kind of thing maybe that does speak to this kind of morale, morale issue if, if the top down pressure from Yiha is to that extent you know banning football that's an example but you can imagine what and that he's not a happy camper right now. Yeah. And his captains, Eckler and Vincic, have both actually come out in the media and have said that they stand by him. Their morale is also down, and they're trying to like power through it. It can lead to this kind of spiraling that we're seeing, and it does take very little to change this. You know, a few wins in a row, and you are kind of you're in a bit better position but when you look at and let's just stick to the Bundesliga for now the games they have are Lemgo Göppingen Bergdorf and Reinick Leuven and then Fixer Berlin so that's the next five games on paper you know few winnable games there Lemgo Göppingen and Bergdorf could be wins there are also banana skins absolute banana skins in the same way Leipzig are and in the cycle that they're in, this could just absolutely spiral. Mixed in with that, you also have Karlstad, PSG, and Allborg in the Champions League. Again, not easy. It's just difficult to see a 
a kind of a full run uh, appearing for Kiel there unless something dramatically changes and I don't, don't see what changes for them um, on top of that is like is the fact that they've always managed to come back uh, particularly in the Bundesliga race because that is you know that is what their year is based on generally and unlike last season we're already seeing three teams begin to open up a bit of a gap on the rest of the field in Berlin Melsung and Magdeburg uh, who have at least a three point advantage over the next best team Flensburg and and then basically from then on you know you look at Kieler in seventh place and there is four points between them and bottom like it's a real dog eat dog world out there right now and Wetzlar are bottom and <laughs> somehow Wetzlar are bottom of this and every team is going to be fighting like absolute lions to get some points on the board um but this brings me to the last thing I want to talk about for Kiel here. Alex, how would you fix it? I think getting rid of the 5-1 for now is... Uh, they, they just need to step away from that because it's a very open defense and when it works really well, it gives them momentum and they can run through games. But their attack is good enough at the moment so they don't need that extra momentum from the 5-1 defense. Um, otherwise it's just up to the individual defenders to step up um, again uh, very difficult to fix but I think there's also the last point uh, on, on Kanayiha here is he's taken around too much in those tight losses um, against Magdeburg, he kind of put out a seven on six that just didn't work. Magdeburg just ran through it. Um, against Leipzig, they actually like man marked a player. Again, that didn't work. Um, I think actually just going back to basics a little bit. A solid six nil. I mean, you've got some of the biggest. You got some of the biggest defenders out there. You know, stick to what you know. Don't make Paddy Vincek run around. Just let him beat up some guys that's that's keel uh, just briefly on i think we we'll talk more about the other about Bundesliga in general more in the in the weeks to come but as i mentioned berlin magdeburg and melsungen running away with it at the moment uh quickly on berlin because we haven't talked about them much oh my god but uh, what somehow is going on in berlin somehow, <laughs> they're perfect <laughs> what is going on i have no idea how <laughs> this is happening well i have an idea and that idea is Matthias Giesel, yeah. who's just been absolutely outstanding he's averaging like 7.6 goals and 5.2 assists right now which yeah. is just out of this world uh, 7.4 and 5.1 on 74% shooting and that is all you need you just need one superstar and all sure. of the players are getting injured all around them you need one superstar and a youth system that can fill gaps uh, which is what Fuchs and Berlin are doing and it's it's a real testament to how you know Stefan Kretschmeier and the, the whole team there yeah. have set up the team and you know we talked about what's going to happen they they didn't replace um the their gaps uh drugs vita all getting injured uh vita that was the other yeah. injury that i 
I couldn't think of. Um, but they've they've found some players to step in and just fill it in, knowing that they have two. I, and I do say two absolute beasts in Lars Anderson, who's been very very good this yeah. year. Didn't get the call up for Denmark, which is um, potentially surprising. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, it's a stacked Denmark team, so Aaron Mensing got the call ahead of him, which I suppose is a toss-up. Lars Anderson has been really good and Matthias Gissel has just been on a whole different planet I keep thinking this every week of like how long could this go on <laughs> yeah for now it, it, it's going on keep enjoying the ride while it lasts uh, and who knows it might go all the way uh, well Melsung and next up for them on Thursday uh, yeah Thursday evening that's a big one the run yeah. could end there yeah uh, Top of the table clash Top there. The table Melsing clash. in who who did suffer that weird loss against Bergershire. But you know, Bergershire do that to them. Um but Melsingen also looking good. Uh, I haven't actually been able to watch them too much. Their games um uh, they they've had a nice run yeah. against kind of lower uh table teams. Let's see now. I think for Melsigan, they they'll have a. Let me see their their fixtures. Yeah, like we have Fixer Berlin and Brian Nicolim coming up. Then um, before the end of the year, they also play Flensburg and Magdeburg. Um, so let, let's see what happens there. They have done well in the big yeah. games that they have played. Um, so yeah, and Elver Jonsson's a as a. Good, good player. Yes. The Icelandic men there. Uh, same with Vigor Christiansen for Leipzig. They're, they're showing up. Uh, yeah. Big times for them. Um, okay. I think we can leave the Bundesliga for now. Yeah. Uh, still a couple think, of things to, but to pop on. One point on the on Fix of Berlin, though, yeah. is that they do have European League coming up. Yes. Uh, and that's a whole set of games on top of a very thin squad. Yeah, and I do wonder how they're going to set up for that, um, especially with the position that they're in. I think they'll take the minimalist approach, playing seven players at a time, like just for the whole game. <laughs> it's like you guys but to just maybe plays, they'll just <laughs> get that Potsdam yeah, team. Potsdam, you know, <laughs> you forget about the second Bundesliga, or they'll. <laughs> you don't need that. You got European League, <laughs> uh, and more European League coming up at the end of the show. Uh, before we continue with the chat and we'll go into the women's uh, HF Euro qualifiers next maybe we can uh, hear from a couple of players I spoke to after the Portuguese uh, faced Netherlands in the opening round of the qualifiers really entertaining let's say match of the week from that where uh, Netherlands came out on top uh, 38-27 the score may be uh, flattering the Dutch a little bit but when you look at the rest of the, the qualifiers, which I'll get into after the, the interviews, uh, quite a tight match in the end, that 11-goal loss. But uh, the Portuguese uh, showing a lot of promise. Uh, Patricia Lima was the player I spoke to uh, about the game uh, and their hopes for qualification. And then speaking to uh, Lois Abing of Netherlands and Vipers Christian Sandfame uh, about the experience of beating them and building up to the World Championship coming up in just over a month's time. So Patricia, it's a few minutes after the game. Uh, now that you've had a chance to breathe, uh, what are your thoughts on how it went? I think it was 
it was um, a good first half, not so good at the second. We have um, a very younger players that are entering the keep uh, the team, but we need a lot. We need a little bit more the experience because um, Netherlands are they are the team that that have a lot of world championship in the legs, a lot of European championships, and we need to to play the, that games, uh, difficult games, to maybe improve our talent, our experience, but I think that this team in the future can do things. Oh, we saw today, you mentioned talent there, we saw a lot of talent over yeah. the 60 minutes. I guess the consistency seemed to be a problem, but uh, did you surprise yourselves a little bit also midway through the first half? You came back within one, you had a chance to go level. Was that a bit where you were like, oh wow, what are we doing? I think it was a surprise and not a surprise yeah. because we trust ourselves and we know what we can do. But obviously, when you see that we have one goal to difference to Netherlands, we think, whoa, it's possible. And it's good that that feeling, it's so good. And I guess at halftime, was the talk maybe a little bit like, you know, we're six goals down, but it doesn't feel like that. I was saying in the, on the commentary that it feels like uh, it's not a six goal game, but unfortunately, that's what the scoreboard looked like. Yes, um, we feel all the time that we can. Six goals, 11 goals, but the, the feeling that we have that it's possible. Uh, they are better, obviously, but we can, we can do things. And we have to uh, think that uh, in our home, with Czech Republic, it's possible. So we have to, to change a little bit uh, our minds and we will fight. And you've shown at home as well in the last few years, uh, like against Spain two years ago, you were so, so close to getting a result against them. Uh, are you a different team at home? Do you think you can control things a bit yeah. better? Yeah, we are, we are stronger yeah. in home, I think. All the teams are stronger in, uh, with our family, our people. Uh, so I think that we maybe can do a surprise, but we have to see. And a friend of ours, uh, Marcio Menino, said that uh, Sunday's game against Czech Republic is the one that everyone in the Portuguese handball community is already looking forward to. Uh, of course, as a team, you can't think about that when you're building for today, but is that a lot of the talk in the team that Sunday is the real target? Yeah, we, uh, we have the idea that Sunday is the, the day. Yeah. If we win, we probably have the chance to, to to play and fight for the second the second in the group but if we lose it's very very difficult so we, I we know that it's the game it's the day and we have to do a perfect perfect match and the fact that this competition has expanded to 24 teams that qualify we saw what an impact that had for your men's team only three years ago, yeah, right? Yeah. Almost four years ago when they qualified. Does that give you that kind of inspiration as well, knowing that, okay, it's not an easy route, but it opens it up for teams yeah, like yeah. yourself to maybe step in there? Yeah, it's more easier. Oh, we are, when we saw the pass, I saw the, the men qualificating for the European. So. I think, now I think, wow, if they can, we can, do you understand? So, we have the, the feeling that it's our year and we have to fight, we have to do a perfect match 
but we can. The, for the first time in the history, we can. Yeah. And if there's one thing then uh, that you feel like you need to fix then for Sunday to get that perfect result, uh, what will it be in the team? I think the, the attack, the, the passes, and uh, the, a lot of uh, the shooting, we don't, we don't have a, a perfect statistic. We have, I think, in the, in the left back, two of ten, and we have to, to improve the, um, the shooting and the, the pass. Well, you can see there the, the shooting, it might work uh, in the Portuguese league or in France, but against yeah. those goalkeepers, it's not that easy, no, right? No, no, not that easy. <laughs> but no, a fantastic performance, really. I think positive things to take from it, and good luck on Sunday. Thank you very much. It is crazy yes. here, but how wonderful is that? Yeah, it's so nice. I think always when we play here in Holland, we're always like so excited to play because it's, yeah, it's just amazing with the fans. And uh, I'm happy that it stays also like this, you know, that it's been this yeah, for several years now. Yeah, so. I mean, the, the diversity in the crowd is really interesting. And yes. like the, I, <laughs> I was speaking to some people here because it's the first time I've covered a game here uh, for the Dutch women's team. They said the crowd between the men's and the women's teams are so different. Yes, it's yeah. totally different. Yeah. I think, uh, of course, it's also a lot of young girls, but uh, yeah, I feel it's quite mixed yeah. also with us now. So uh, it's it's really nice. It gives a really nice atmosphere, I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah, nice end to the game today. Yes. I guess this is this feels like more of a preparation for the World Championship, but a good test still. Yeah, I think it was a good test. I think we really tried to did some do something that we wanted to try also maybe later on, but. Also, we didn't know so much about uh, Portugal, so we, we also knew we had to have a big respect for them, and I think they played really well, actually. So it was kind of hard to prepare, uh, but that's why we said, okay, we want to yeah, play our own game and try maybe some things, and uh, I think in the end we scored a lot of goals. So, yeah. <laughs> so that was good, uh, maybe uh, defense a little bit better next time. Yeah, was there a little bit of worry there, because they had a chance to draw level? Uh, like it, wasn't, it was like 22, 23 minutes into the game, yeah. and uh, yeah, maybe yeah. a bit of a... A kick up the backside, but in a positive way. Yeah, I think so. I think it showed uh, that this is something also we we struggle sometimes. Like we, when we play good, we play really good, but we also fall down sometimes. So we're trying to uh, to fix this somehow. And I think um, yeah, it was a good uh, test today. And I'm happy everybody could play and uh, could join the game. And uh, yeah, that was nice. And it was a, a bit of a gap in the right back position as well, yes. with two of your your main lefties being uh, injured and sick. Uh, was that a bit odd as well? Maybe put a bit more emphasis on the on the left side and the wings. Yeah, yeah. I think of course the whole uh, way of playing just changed a little bit because you don't have a left hander over there. So we really tried to make the best out of it. And I, I think the young Kim and the Harma did a good job. So, uh, but for them it also must be uh, must be hard. Yeah. Um, so it definitely changed the way a little bit of how we want to play. Um, but yeah, we we managed, and that's also the strength of the team. Uh, building up to the World Championship then, what are the things that uh, you've talked about as a team that you have to, to focus on developing? I think we talked a lot about uh, being good in the right moments. I think uh, last tournament, uh, yeah, I was of course not there, but what I saw was that they played a really good tournament, but maybe in the moment where it had to be, uh, yeah, we struggled a little bit, and uh, but still we were really close. So we also know if we maybe can step up in this, uh, in this moment, and maybe we can uh, aim for a semi-final hopefully. But we also know that that will be a really tough road. Yeah, so um, that's a, that's a long journey, we yeah. try to work uh, game by game. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, so this week, it, I, I said there, and I, I heard some people mention it, it feels like the beginning of the World Championship preparation. Knowing the opposition you have, or yeah. not knowing them maybe, is it no. a lot of focus on yourself then? Yes. And, yeah, building yeah. up. 
yeah, I think that's uh, only maybe also a good thing about this that we maybe don't know so much about the opponents is we can prepare in a, in a good way just focusing on ourselves. And I think, like I said, Portugal was a really good opponent for us in that way because they, they played quite well and uh, they really made us struggle. So this was a really good test for us actually today. And it feels like they're a little bit more inspired as well with the yes. widening of the, the final 24 teams. Yes. They have a chance all of a sudden to yes. qualify. Uh, we saw what difference that made for the Dutch men, for example, yes. only four years ago, yes. right? So do you think that that's a positive step on the women's side as well? Yeah, I think so. And I also think that it's good that, of course, maybe the end the difference was quite uh, big in goals, but I don't feel like the difference was that big. So uh, it's good that the level becomes closer and closer because uh, I think it's nice to play like not easy matches in, uh, in a world championship. So I, I hope that everybody can like be better and better so we can have uh, yeah, an even better championship. And lastly then, uh, how's the new chapter and the club level treating you? Yeah, good, yeah, yeah. it's uh, really nice. Uh, I really like it in Christian Sand and uh, yeah, it, they made it very easy for me to come into the team and uh, yeah, so I'm really happy. Yeah, they're redeveloping themselves every year. It's yes. uh, yeah, exciting it's quite, chapter. Uh, it's quite also inspiring to <laughs> yes. see, yes, yes it is. All right, yes. thank you so much Lois thank and you. yeah, enjoy the rest of your autographs. Yeah. That was Patricia Lima and Lois Abing. And uh, as I mentioned right beforehand, and we spoke about a little bit in the uh, in the morning club last week, the qualification system for this competition is uh, a little bit off balance, I think it is fair to say. It's the first time that we're going to have 24 teams in the final tournament, uh, matching the, the move to do that in the men's Euro back in 2000. And 20. And this is where the situation might be leading to, Alex. Of the third and fourth ranked teams in each of the groups, so there's eight groups of four teams uh, in this. Actually, one group is with three. Um, but of the third and fourth ranked teams in all the groups, only one of them, Turkey, managed to get a point in the game where they should have gotten a point, where the third-ranked teams are playing at home against the second-ranked teams. So that was Turkey getting a draw with Serbia, which means they're leading the race for one of the best fourth-place teams. So they're the best third-place teams. So four third-place teams get a spot at the Euro. And as things are looking, it will be Turkey with their one point, and then it's going to be a case of whoever loses by the least in all the other groups against the first and second place teams. Uh, I think there's still there's still a chance that Slovakia will get a result against Ukraine because uh, that's a really tight one between second and third place in the groups. But likely there's going to be two spots for teams who haven't won anything or haven't gotten a point against the top ranked teams and only lose by the least goals. <laughs> Which, incredible at the moment, looks like a toss-up between Portugal, Faroe Islands and Greece. Two of those three uh, will get into the Euro. And uh, although Patricia Lima was talking about how they were really uh, building up to, to the game, which uh, eventually they, uh, they lost uh, against Czech Republic on Sunday, a tight game there. But their chances of qualifying for the Euro still looking pretty good based on not losing by as much as everyone else. Your thoughts? I, I do love that because the next round is actually between so all of these bottom teams yes. who have 
zero points or one point are all playing against each other. And that just doesn't matter. Well, all, you know. it, it matters because you have to you have to finish third. You have to beat the oh, other you team. You have to Sorry, finish you third. Have to, yeah. Yeah. You have okay, to finish so, third, so but that, the, that. the table for the, among the third place teams are only against the first, the top two. But yeah, you still yeah. have to be better than the worst team. Okay, so, so, so at least that will be uh, some no. very competitive games. Yeah. Uh, and one team that's not going to make it is uh, Latvia. Oh, goodness. Lost 55-5 against France in an absolute massacre. I did not watch any of the game, do not intend on watching any of that game, but it, it probably... You know the halftime score. <laughs> Oh, so was it like 23-1? It was 20, 26-1. Yeah. 26-1. That's painful. Yeah. Uh, I think... And they were, play, they, were playing at, they were playing at home in front of 312 people. Oh, my God. Or 312 yeah. Latvians. Um, yeah, it, 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 was that it stuff. probably speaks to the division in the ranks of women's handball at the moment, which seems to be getting larger and larger and you can probably split that up into three tranches you have the teams at the top who are always at the top your scandinavian teams and france and spain essentially then you have the mid-level which is quite far behind that um and then you have a bottom level that's even just miles away from that yeah. again this Latvia team conceding 53 goals against Slovenia as well yeah I mean th these are teams that like you know this is a level we we've played at Alex where this is you know first qualification round level and these are teams that usually only face each other and are now being thrown into against the big dogs because they've expanded this tournament um and I think the expansion of the tournament to 24 teams is not a bad idea by any means but the way you can have the teams qualify I think could be changed and uh, there's a great example of that in the uh, Euro qualifiers in women's football uh, you can look into that uh, yourselves or if you really want to another day I can go into uh, why that works well but they have actually divided that into those three kind of divisions like you mentioned and uh, made qualification for the top teams a lot more straightforward as it is anyway here and you know save a few uh I say lops lopsided results, but hammerings is uh, is a more accurate description of it. Uh, but yeah, so still good chances for Portugal, Greece, or Faroe Islands. I think to uh, to qualify for the Euro. Uh, so yeah, there's some good news in there. Right, European League to wrap us up. Speaking of expanded tournaments, Alex, <laughs> the group phase has 32 teams, and I for one. I'm now on board with this. Why is that? Why? Why is that? I'll tell you why. <laughs> tell me the beautiful clashes we might see. Well, I don't need to. I don't need to just. I don't need to tell you because uh, thankfully our friend Kevin Domas has done that work for me and is uh, a handy article on Eurohandball.com. They haven't bothered with previews for all the matches. <laughs> now we have Kevin Domas's top five matches of the week. Lovely. <laughs> I love it. And let's be honest, these these matches are pretty tasty. We have Nantes versus Benfica, Gurenia, Verlenia against Fadi Wintertour, Nexa, Nashitza against Skjern, Flensburg against Cadet and Schaffhausen, and Bieringbro against La Rioja. So, you know, some nice matches in there. Um, 
But why I'm particularly happy to see 32 teams is while I was looking at the matches and the teams and the groups that are not mentioned in Kevin Damas's top five matches. And in particular, in two of the, what I think are two of the most entertaining groups, uh, Group E, which has Flensburg, Elvrum, Cadetan, and Lovsen Set, uh, Setinje from Montenegro, and a Group G, which has Berlin, Dinamo Bucharesti, Chambry, and Izvidac from Bosnia and Herzegovina. Teams like those two, Vojvodina, uh, Kirill Lazarov's Alkaloid, it means finally we're getting the Balkan teams back into this kind of level of European handball on a week-in, week-out basis when it felt like all hope was lost for these teams. They've kind of been left in a, in a, in a time, like, a, you know, a time, what is it, a, a forgotten time in handball. But now they've been thrust back into this kind of limelight. And I think that's a really positive thing. I, for one, I am really looking forward to Pavaska Bistitsa playing ABC Braga. Yes. That's my match of the week. It's, Look out for it's it. It's a Champions League group game match from 1996. <laughs> hey, <laughs> what's there not to like? I, I, those groups I mentioned there, E and G, have three very strong teams in it, as well as the, the token Balkan team, uh, which uh, is interesting seeing as the top two make it through, right? I believe, into the, the main round. We also have Group A, which really stands out to me. Nantes. Krihanstad, Benfica, and Rhein-Neckar Leuven. Now that is a tasty group. It's a lovely group, but actually, so there's there's nine groups. What? <laughs> no, um, eight groups of four. Right? Oh no! Sorry, it's just mixed up. And no, no, eight that groups. Eight groups. Would, that would be really. I don't that think EHF, EHF comes up with some funky group divisions, but that would be really out there. <laughs> Never mind. Top two teams get through. So nine it, groups. It Top three teams go it. through. Twenty-seven left. We divide it by three, multiply it, carry the two, and then we're into Four the main round. Cards and, then... and the partridge in a pear tree. No, so. <laughs> Uh, there will be Eight some groups. really fun games within that, and I think the one thing that we will get is a really, really exciting knockout round, starting from Elastic Steam, which um, I've got on about that we need more and uh, knockout handball, so that's going to be fun. Ah, the, it, there's Elastic Steam. No. Oh, there is. No, main round. Oh, p- main no, round? I think it goes directly to knockout. No, there is a main round. Yeah, oh God. This is so, their main round. Yeah, to uh, to, get, to make it even longer. Let's get rid of the Balkans. Yeah. <laughs> the top two from every group goes into the main round, which is sixteen teams, and then there is the playoff round. So then you have uh, the second place teams from the main round facing the third place teams from the main round. The winners of those matches go to face the group winners from all the main round groups in the quarterfinals. Good times. It's going to be oh a long God. European Ooh. League season, my friends. It's, it's, it's already the, the middle of October. I when are we going to fit in all these games? I now feel a bit more worried about Fuxa Berlin's chances that they're going to have to play all these matches. Oh, Fuxa dear. Berlin are just... Yeah. yeah, they're in trouble. Wrap Matthias Gisel and Cotton Wool and uh, <laughs> set him to the side. Put him on ice for the European League. What the European League is going to be really good for, though, 
uh, is expanding upon our friend of the podcast, Eugene Lavery's uh, League versus League standings, which I think you agree is a fantastic idea and something which we will have to keep referring to as the season goes on. Uh, and this is where Eugene is really doing his homework here and looking at all the matches between sides in the the top leagues in Europe, uh, in the Champions League and in the European League. So he has the Liga Asabal in there, the Portuguese Andabal won, the Bundesliga, the Nemzeti Bainoxag won from Hungary, the Reima Etuzen Ligan from Norway, the Star League from France, the Hera Handball Ligan from Denmark, and the Superliga from Poland. And uh, yeah, I think it's a really fun concept. And uh, I'm I'm going to suggest we call it the Lavery Shield, uh, this race for the title as the season goes <laughs> like on. <laughs> the Lavery Shield. Well, let's see if Barcelona can keep the Liga Asabal at the top. There's a few Asabal League teams in the European League, so that could be uh, under a bit of threat. But uh, that's what it's all about to make it make it more interesting. Liga Asabal top of the table so far with Barca's four out of four. The uh, Superliga in Poland struggling. Thanks for joining us on this journey around handball. We, we covered the big topics. We covered the smallest of small topics, as we do every time. <laughs> uh, thanks for following us on Patreon. Sign up if you haven't already, and uh, we'll be back with you with the Morning Club this week, as well as another podcast coming to everyone quite soon. Yeah.